chapter 8, we do read, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. And so, Father, we come tonight and we ask that once again, as we go through these chapters, that you would give us understanding. And we desire, Lord, to, to make application. And Father, I pray that as we come in, perhaps a long day of work, and, and uh, we've been busy all day, and maybe a little bit tired, but Lord, I do pray that we would have the energy and the um, wanting and desire to just keep our ears open tonight. And uh, Lord, just to learn uh, your word and to grow in your grace and to see your goodness once again. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So it's interesting that Samuel, of course, is he's the spiritual leader of the nation. He's actually judging Israel. And Samuel, is, he finds himself in a situation that is very similar to what we saw in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel. And you recall that when Samuel was given to Eli there at the tabernacle in Shiloh, that Eli, who was judging Israel at that time, Eli had judged Israel for 40 years. Again, the days of the judges, God would raise up a leader that would lead the children of Israel. He was not a king, but he was one that was ministering and judging. And, and we saw that all took place in the book of Judges. In the days of the judges, it was a time frame that expanded about 350 years to 400 years. And so in chapter 7, we saw that the days of the judges are, are coming to an end. As the people in that time of their history, the children of Israel, were in rebellion during the days of the judges. They had been in idol worship. They were worshiping false gods and involved in, in that uh, which uh, the Canaanites uh, were involved in. And, of course, the Lord had said to them that if you go after other gods, there's going to be negative consequences because of that. And we saw during this time frame of the judges that there was devastating consequences because they were involved in idol worship and went after those other gods and forsaken the Lord. So last week we saw in chapter 7 that they put away those idols of Baal and Asterisk. They turned to the Lord and they, they repented. And we saw that the chapter really spoke of revival and repentance and what it really means to turn to the Lord and put away those things that, that cause us to sin, those things that are idols in our lives. And we are to be ones to serve him and to love him. And so that has taken place. And so now in chapter 8, we see that Samuel being the judge, he is old, and he has two sons, Joel and uh, Abijah. And as I mentioned to you, he finds himself in a similar situation that Eli, the high priest, the judge before him, uh, was in when he was in Shiloh. And it was Eli that had two sons, and they were priests ministering there at the tabernacle. And they were corrupt. They were ones that were ripping the people off. They were involved in immorality, as we saw. They were in, involved in, in uh, carnality. And the Lord brought judgment upon them. And, of course, Eli's two sons would die in battle against the Philistines, as we saw in chapter 4. So all of a sudden, here is Samuel. He has two sons. We don't know much about Samuel's personal life at all, except that he had these two sons. And they were judges over that area of Beersheba. Now, that's down in the southern part of the nation. 
And we also see that his two sons were not right with the Lord. They, they had turned aside, as verse 3 tells us, weren't walking in the ways of the Lord. They turned after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Now, you can read the, the Bible teachers and commentators what they say about this, how perhaps Samuel's two sons ended up turning away from the Lord. And there's a couple of thoughts on this. One is, is that we have seen that Samuel traveled throughout the land and he was speaking the word of the Lord, wasn't he, throughout the land. And it was a blessing to the people because as the people are hearing this strong spiritual man that is coming along and speaking the truth of God, it would penetrate their hearts and it would cause revival to go throughout the land. But some suggest because Samuel was so busy doing that, that he neglected his sons and he did not raise them up in the ways of the Lord. We don't know that for sure. Um, it could be that Samuel got so busy with ministry, with other things, that perhaps he did neglect in some way in training his two sons in the ways of the Lord. And that can happen. So as we look at this, we as parents, as we are raising our children in the ways of the Lord, we need to make sure that's a priority in our lives, that God has called us to do that as moms and as dads. And, and we are to take that very seriously. We have been ordained, commissioned to, to train our children, raise them up in the ways of the Lord. And parents, I want to remind you again that we here at Calvary Chapel, we want to encourage you in that. We want to pray for you. We want to teach your children. When you entrust them to us in the children's ministry or in the nursery, we want to make sure that they're learning of the Lord and learning of Jesus and the Word of God. And I think that it's extremely critical in the days in which we are living in that our children are being grounded in truth and in God's Word. But also, you have the responsibility, the primary responsibility, to be raising your children in the ways of the Lord. And grandparents, those of you who are grandparents, if it's possible and you can, you have an opportunity to also encourage your grandchildren as well. So what can happen is, is that we get so busy in life, and it can even happen to those who are in ministry. We get busy with careers. We get busy with jobs. Certainly we do. We get busy with activities with the kids. And what happens is, is that spiritual priority that we're to have ends up being put on the back shelf. And it doesn't become a priority. And I just want to encourage all of you that are moms and dads that the Lord desires for you to take on what he has called you to do, and that is to really be praying for your children and be teaching them the word of God, be encouraging them in that way, and, and to do that consistently and constantly. And, and so perhaps it could be that Samuel, he was one that maybe neglected that. When we get further into 1 Samuel and go into 2 Samuel, we're going to see that David, he was one, that he was a great administrator. He was a great warrior. He was the greatest king that Israel ever saw. But one of the things that we see that he fell short in ministering to his children. And his children, his family was a mess. And we're going to see all of the things that David went through because he neglected in disciplining his children and, and, and really raising them up in the ways of the Lord. And we will see that very clearly. So perhaps Samuel, he got so busy in traveling around, maybe he did neglect in some way in raising his children and making sure that they got grounded. Um, and that can happen very easily to any of us. It can happen to me as a pastor. 
And I think that those of you who've been around here long enough that you know that, that I will work hard for you and I will be here. And, and I am here to, to be available and to minister. But I also have a family and I have four children of my own that I'm raising in the Lord. And I need to be reminded, and I know that I am one that takes very seriously that that's a primary ministry for me to be raising my children in the ways of the Lord. And I'm so thankful that my children love the Lord. And as they get older, and, and Barbara, my oldest, is a young adult now, and she loves the Lord. And I'm very thankful for that as well and grateful. But I always have that ministry to them that needs to be a priority in my life. And it is a priority in my life as well as Sue's. Um, so that's a possibility that may have happened. The other possibility is, and, and I'm not convinced that Samuel neglected raising his children in the ways of the Lord, because verse 3, it says that they turned aside. In other words, they just turned away. They knew the ways of the Lord. They did not walk in his ways, though. They turned aside. And unfortunately, that can happen. Because when our children grow up, they're going to have to make decisions on their own, whether they're going to walk with the Lord or not, if they're going to exercise their faith or they're going to go after the ways of the world. And so what we need to do is be praying for our kids, even if they're young. I pray for mine. Lord, when they grow up, that they would make wise choices and be walking with you and serving you all the days of their lives. And, and you may not think about that if you have younger kids, but you be praying for them now. Be praying that when they, you know, get older, that they be walking with the Lord. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, I, I've known people that have raised their children in, in a godly way and had a godly home, but unfortunately, their children did turn away from the Lord and began to walk after the, the ways of the world. So it's very critical that we be praying, that we be ministering, and um, that we be talking to them. And again, parents, deal with their hearts. Deal with their hearts even at a young age. You know, what's going on in their hearts? What is it that, that's taken place um, in the home and what they're participating in and, and all these things? Don't be afraid to talk to them. So anyway, we see that here with Samuel, with his kids, um, they got caught up in, in these things, three things that uh, they were involved in. They were involved in dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And there are three things that will lead many people astray. And that is one, pride. It's pride. And we see here that as they were involved in, in, in dishonest gain, um, they, they were ones that were greedy. And we know that they were involved in, in took, taking bribes, and that is they were lusting for, for more money, for, for whatever it is that they were getting, and then perverting justice. They, they wanted power. And these are the things that can lead anybody astray, lust and greed and power, those three things. And so that's what was taking place. So verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together to camp to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And so we see here that they come to Samuel, and they say, We want a king. Now, these two verses are very significant, because now all of a sudden we go from what's going to be the days of the judges to now the days of the kings. And the people were writing, coming to Samuel, and saying that we don't want your sons to judge us. Again, we don't know the exact circumstances that led 
um, his two sons to, to go after the ways of the world and, and turn away from the Lord. But Samuel, I believe, if there's one mistake that he made, and that was allowing his sons to be judges in Beersheba, that he should not have done that. And you recall that it was Eli that he allowed his two sons to continue ministering there at the tabernacle. And the Lord came to Eli and said, Eli, why are you doing this? Why do you honor your sons over me? And why are you allowing them to continue to minister in the house of the Lord? And we saw that the Lord rebuked Eli very strongly for that. And so Samuel, why they continued judging when they were doing these things, that was perhaps a shortcoming of Samuel. And the point that I want to make, parents, is don't be one that, that when we look at our kids, to be afraid to make an honest evaluation where they're at. If their hearts aren't right. If they're not doing things that are honorable in the sight of the Lord. And what can happen is, for some reason, as parents, because we love our children, don't we? We can kind of be blinded a little bit. No, it isn't that bad, and they're going to be okay, and, and, and I hope they're okay. Rather than just being honest and saying their hearts aren't right, or they're headed in the wrong direction, or there's some things that really need to be dealt with, and, and to then take that on, or or to deal with it in a way that you can or should or whatever the circumstances brings to you. And so they were writing, coming to him and saying, you know what, we don't want your sons to judge us. They're corrupt. They're full of pride. They want power. They're, they're lusting for more, and they're ripping the people off. But they were wrong, the children of Israel, in wanting to be like the other nations. And we know that as we've traveled through here the Old Testament, that God wanted his people to be a light to the other nations. He didn't want them to be like the other nations. And here they're saying, we want to be like the other nations, so we want a king. And it's going to break Samuel's heart, but it broke the Lord's heart. And you see, we know that God desired for them to be a witness and a testimony to all those other nations, didn't he? We saw that clear back in the book of Exodus. And you recall that when the Lord brought down the plagues upon Egypt, that he told Moses, you know what, Moses, Pharaoh's going to see that truly that I am the Lord, and the other nations are going to see that as well. And when they went out into the wilderness, and, and there was the presence of God with them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire you know, by night, and, and, and the other nations would hear that God was in their midst and leading them, and that he had parted the Red Sea and and that the Lord was bringing them into the promised land to where there was, even as we saw a couple weeks ago, 400 years after they came out of Egypt, it was the Philistines that were even saying that your God is the one that brought the plagues down upon Egypt. Your God is the one that parted the Red Sea, but yet the Philistines would not repent and turn to the Lord. And he wanted the children of Israel to be a light to the other nations and a witness of the blessing and the goodness of God. And you see, God had given them the law there on the mountain. He gave them the religious laws and the ceremonial laws and the civil laws. So that when they went into the land, he had set it up. Really, their government, they had spiritual leaders and the priests and the Levites. They had the judges that were set up that were the judge at the gates of the cities when any manners needed to be taken care of. They had it all spelled out for them. And God said, you are Israel. Israel means governed by God. And you're going to be a light and a testimony. 
to the other nations. So when they see, as you're following after me, and you're walking in my ways, and that I'll be blessing you. I'm blessing you with, with abundance of crops. And I'm blessing your families. Uh, um, um, defeating the enemy that comes against you. You're going to be a light to them. And you see, in the tabernacle, when that seven-branch golden menorah was there as a light source there in the tabernacle, it symbolized that, that the children of Israel was to be a light. They were to be a light to the other nations. But you and I as Christians, we know that we are to be the light. It symbolized that seven-branch menorah, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. It spoke of him. It pointed to him. And Jesus would stand up, as we know in John's gospel, and he would declare there at the temple in Jerusalem that I am the light of the world. And then he would go on to say that you and I, as believers, that we also are the light of the world as well. And what my prayer is, is that we would reflect the light and the love and the goodness of God to others in this dark world. And how we need to do that. How I hope that we do that. The reality of Jesus Christ in their hearts. That they can see the goodness and, and the wisdom of God being worked out in our lives. That somehow it, that light is penetrating the darkness that's all around us. And so they were to be a witness to the nations. Just as you and I are to be a witness to those of the world. And so he, in verse 6, as they're asking for this, this king... But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king that judges. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. So Samuel, of course, he's upset about this. He's taking it personally. But what he does is he goes to the Lord and pray. And whenever something disappointing happens or, or somebody says something that upset you or whatever it might be, a good thing to do is go to the Lord and pray to the Lord and allow the Lord to, to minister to you and give you wisdom and that's what the Lord's going to do here with Samuel. He's going to speak to Samuel in verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me because they have not allowed me really to govern over them. Ever since they left Egypt, there's been this rebellion. And, of course, we saw in that wilderness wandering, they rebelled after the Lord. They murmured and they complained. And then there was a short time where they came into the promised land and they had victory because they were living by faith and walking in obedience, and they conquered the land. But now they've just gone through a 400-year period where they're in disobedience to the Lord again. And the Lord was saying, I wanted to govern them and reign over them and rule over them, but they were not letting me do it, and they're not letting me do it now. So the question tonight, does God rule over you and reign over you in your heart and in every area of your life? Or are there things that you're holding back from the Lord and not giving it to Him? We can sing that song, I surrender all, but, you know, Lord, not all. Maybe some things, but, but not all things. I'm not going to surrender this part of my life or this thing or what I'm participating in this activity. I'm going to keep that to myself. And what the Lord desires for us to do is to give Him every area of our lives for Him to govern over that. Because he came to give us life, but also to give us life abundantly. 
And he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask. He, he wants to work in our lives and, and blessing our lives and doing what is best for us. But what can happen so oftentimes is, is we can hold back. Uh, we can uh, begin to do our own thing and, and begin to figure things out in our own wisdom and try to do things in our own might rather than just allowing the Lord to work in our lives. And I think kind of what the Lord is saying is they've never really given me a chance. Oftentimes people, Christians today, they won't let the Lord really work and, and give Him a chance to work in their lives or some area of their lives. It, maybe, maybe. If some of you are going through a circumstance or something in your life and, and you're impatient and you're not really allowing the Lord to lead you and guide you and, and, and to instruct you, maybe you're not really giving Him a chance. I know for me, there have been times in my life I get so impatient. I, I'm going to figure this out myself. And I'm going to, to go in this direction. And I'm going to, to do it my way rather than allowing the Lord to instruct me how it is that I'm to react or, or how it is that I'm going to move forward in that circumstance and then be patient and trust Him and, and rest in Him. So they never really had given God a chance to really rule over them. And so they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. So verse 9, Therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who shall reign over them. And so they want a king, they're going to get a king. But this is what you do. You are to warn them what's going to happen because they're not fully allowing me to reign over their lives. Don't we see all throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that God warns us? He warns us about what happens when we go our own direction. He warns us what happens when we begin to, to, to live our lives in our own understanding. And, and when we begin to live our lives in the world's understandings and philosophy. Paul said in Colossians 2, you're going to be cheated. We know that the Lord gives us warning what's going to happen if we sow seeds of corruption, of, of the you know what's going to sow. Uh, if you sow seeds of corruption, then of you know, the field will, you will reap to the flesh and of corruption. There's going to be consequences. And if we go after sin, and if we pursue the pleasures of the world, there's going to be bondage, and there's going to be sadness, and there's going to be sorrow. And you see, all throughout the scriptures, we are warned. And these stories are told to us so that we can learn. They say that you can learn from mistakes, but it doesn't have to be our own mistakes. We can look and see all throughout the scriptures through the mistakes that people made in not trusting in the Lord, and we can learn from that and can see what can happen. The negative consequences or the, you know, the, the bondage that comes or the difficulty that comes. And so here they were, they, they're going to be warned, and I know that we're warned all throughout the scripture what happens when we reject the wisdom of God and the word of God. And so Samuel told all the words of the Lord, verse 10, to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest 
and some to make his weapons of war and equip for his chariots. Verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Samuel warns them what will happen. Notice how many times Samuel says that he will take. Six times. He's going to take. He's going to take. Just like the government. They're going to take. He's going to draft your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your grain, your flocks. He's going to take. That's what's going to happen. And you're going to end up serving him. And you're going to end up being under his yoke and under submission to him. Now, isn't it going to be wonderful as on Sunday mornings we're going to go through Mark's gospel and as I mentioned in the introduction to Mark's gospel Mark's emphasis in his gospel is to show us that Jesus is the perfect servant that he's the servant of all and it is Jesus that said I didn't come to be served but to be the servant of all and then he would say to us as Christians that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God then you need to be the servant of all and to be the servant of all means that we need to humble ourselves. He says, you're not to be like the Gentiles, that is those of the world, who want to lord over, who want to rule over. But you're to take the lowly place. You're to take the place of the servant. You're going to be like this child, as he would use a child as an illustration. And you will be great then in the kingdom of God, humbling yourself, being a servant to all. I hope that we, this year, that we say, Lord, I just want to be your servant. I just want to serve you. I just want to yield to you, whatever it is that you have for me. And I know that God's word says that, that he will bless the man or the woman who comes to him and says, Lord, I just want to serve you, to be your servant. What is it that you would have for me to do? Lord, I just simply want to do it. It would be Paul the apostle when he was talking to the Corinthian church he would say to them, and Paul, he was an apostle, I mean, a great man of faith, used big time by the Lord. And he would say to them, I'm not here to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. And I know for me, being the pastor of this church, that it simply means that I'm to be the servant of all, that I'm here to serve and, and to be humble. And, and to serve in what God has called me to do. And that's what I want to be, just a humble servant for the Lord. And that's what all of us are called to do. So this king, he's going to come and he's going to take, and you're going to end up serving him. Uh, I love the story of Jesus. When he's in that upper room, right before he goes to the cross, he girded himself with a towel, washed the feet of the disciples, and he said, I've done this as an example that you ought to do to one another now. And really, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to be used in ministry and serving the Lord, the key is you've got to have a servant's heart, just willing to serve, serve others, and however God would have you to do that.
And so here they're going to serve the Lord, and, or the king is going to take from them. In verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us, that we may also be like the other nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. Notice verse 21. It was Samuel that repeated it. He said, okay, I know that you want a king. You're being very persistent about asking for a king, so I'm going to warn you once again. And isn't it interesting? We see it that the Lord warns us all throughout the Scriptures over and over and over again. Because I think we need to be warned over and over again. He repeats that. Whenever the Lord repeats something, it's important. So we can go through it and we can say, yeah, I understand. Just as, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy, remember that the Lord kept saying, keep my word, keep my commandments, follow after me over and over again. Walk in my statutes. And you think, the Lord keeps saying this. Well, he kept repeating, repeating, and then he kept warning and warning what would happen if they didn't. And we saw that they rebelled against the Lord. So the Lord warns us what's going to happen when we turn away from him or we're out of his will. Verse 22 so the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to this city. And there was a man of Benjamin, chapter 9, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becharoth, and the son of Aphiah, the Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had, choice, he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. So now we're introduced to this man named Kish. And, and Kish here, we are told, was an influential man. He was a wealthy man from the tribe of Benjamin. And his son was more handsome than any other man in Israel. He was tall, he was dark, and he was handsome. So he was very attractive from a, you know, a rich family, an influential family. So it seemed like he really has it made, doesn't he? And it seems like he's got all those qualities that everybody would look for in a leader. But I want us to notice something here. As, as we look at Saul, that he's from that family that's well known. As he's head and shoulders above everybody else that we see that the scriptures in telling us about Saul is telling us about his outward features. He's handsome. He's tall. He's dark. You know, and, and, and he's one that's very attractive. And he comes from a good family. The outward appearances, the outward circumstances. But nothing is said about his heart. It's going to be in a few chapters later that we'll see in chapter 16. When Saul is rejected as being king. And it's Samuel that's told to go to the house of Jesse there in Bethlehem. And you go anoint the new king. And when Samuel showed up at Jesse's house, Jesse had all these sons. And the, the eldest came out, Eliab. And, and he also looked you know, very handsome and, and very strong. And, and it was Samuel that said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely this is him standing before me. But the Lord would speak to Samuel at that time and say, don't look at his physical parents or statue because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see a man um, sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. 
And so oftentimes, the way of the world is we just look at the outward circumstances and appearances. But God sees the heart. So again, the question to ask ourselves tonight is where is our hearts? And it would be David that was the youngest. He wasn't even there. It's, it's Samuel that went through all the brothers of David, and he said, none of these are to be the king. Do you have another son? Yeah, he's the youngest. He's ruddy looking. He's out there with the sheep. And it would be Samuel that went out there, and the Lord said, that is my anointed. He's the one that's going to be the king because David had a heart after God. And he became the greatest king that Israel ever had. Because his heart was towards God. Did David have a perfect life? No. He made some huge blunders. And he sinned greatly at times. But David was one that knew how to repent. He knew about the forgiveness of God. He never bowed the knee to an idol. And all the other kings that came after him were measured up to David because David had a heart after God. So the question is, again, as we minister to our children, are we dealing with their hearts? As we come, do we present our hearts to the Lord? And David would write in the Psalms that, Lord, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. He would present his heart to the Lord. And David was one that would write Psalms to the Lord. And you know what the big difference between David and Saul was? Saul never wrote a psalm. You ever notice that? He never wrote a psalm. He seemed to have it together. He came from an influential family. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. But his heart, as we're going to see, is going to come out to where he really didn't have a heart after God. And again, if we are going to be ones that we're going to live a life pleasing to the Lord and live for the Lord, it is a humble heart and a heart after him. And so here is Saul. He He's being mentioned here in verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of um, Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shaliam, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but did not find them. So here some of Kish's donkeys were missing, so Saul goes after them. He shows some good qualities here that we see he's obedient to his dad. And then in verse 5, we see that he's sensitive. As when they came to the land of Suf, Saul said to a servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and becomes worried about us. So he's being sensitive to how his dad's going to feel. And then as we read in verse 6, And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And so they're near this city here. And he says, listen, in this city is a man of God. He's an honorable man. And all that he says surely comes to pass. Of course, speaking of Samuel. Isn't that a great reputation? I don't know about you, and I'm, I'm sure you do feel this way, and I feel this way. I want to be known by these three things. I want to be known as a man of God. I want to be known as a man that honors the Lord. And the things that I say are true. That is, that I'm speaking truth as I'm teaching you the Bible. And so I know that you feel the same way. I want to be a man or a woman after God. I, I want to honor the Lord with my life. I want to speak God's truth and wisdom to others as well. That's what I want to be known for. 
And I know that's what you want to be known for as well. Samuel was a prophet. He spoke the word of God prophetically. And all that he said was true. A requirement for a prophet according to Deuteronomy chapter 19. And so as we continue reading, we read in verse 7, Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? So it was customary back in those days that if you went and saw you know, a prophet or a seer, that you would bring him a gift. Samuel's not expecting it or requesting it, or you know, he's, he's not doing that in any way. It was customary you know, to... To, to do that. It, it was, you know, um, showing respect to that person to bring him some kind of little gift. They said, we don't have anything. And so the servant answered Saul again and said in verse 8, look, I have here in one hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God go tell us, uh, to tell us our way. And formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come let us go to the seer, for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. And then Saul said to a servant, well, said, come let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And they went up to the hill of the city. They met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they said to them, yes, you big, tall, strong, handsome man. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> there he is, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today... He came into this city, and because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place, as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So Saul and his servant were told that Samuel in town, and um, these women tell him that he's here to sacrifice and bless the people and they're going to have a big barbecue so you better hurry up and get up and find him where he's at so verse 14 tells us so they went up to the city and as they were coming into the city there was Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me so God is working on both ends isn't he on this I mean he's leading Saul Saul has no clue the donkeys are gone he just wanders to this town hey I hear there's a, a prophet a seer that's in this town let's go look for him Samuel he hears and I want us to notice this in verse 15 God had told Samuel in his ear and spoken to him that Saul's going to show up. You're going to anoint him as the new king. And that word, that phrase in his ear there in verse 15 literally means God had uncovered his ear. It was derived from a Middle East practice of pushing aside another man's hair or to uncover the corner of his, his turban in order to whisper a secret in his ear. I want to say this. The Lord will guide you. In certain ways, he guided Saul to where Saul ends up, you know, in this city having this divine appointment with Samuel. And sometimes the Lord will lead you in that way. There are times that, you know, I'm going throughout my day and, and perhaps I get distracted or diverted in some way. And all of a sudden I find myself that the Lord wants me in this place at this time. I had no clue what was going on. There are other times where the Lord will speak 
that word in my ear. And people say, what do you mean the Lord speaks to you? Is it audible? Perhaps it was to Samuel, but it's just that prompting in my heart. That still small voice of the Lord as he speaks to you. He speaks to us through his word. And then as you are saying, Lord, I want to be sensitive to your leading today. And I hope that's what all of our prayers are, is that, Lord, just speak to my heart. And, and sometimes he will just speak to you in that still small voice in your heart and saying, I want you to go talk to that person, or I want you to, to do this thing, or I want you to, to obey me in this area. And I hope that we are ones that our ears are just tuned in to being sensitive to hearing the Lord. Because it's exciting when you are ones that you are desiring, any of us, to just say, Lord, I'm open to your leading today. Lead me and guide me. And it's amazing what the Lord will do when you're just open to that and when you're sensitive to hearing that still, small voice of the Lord. And so oftentimes you, you'll be hearing, reading the Word or perhaps hearing a teaching on Grace FM and the Lord speaking to you and then He begins to continue to speak to you and put things on your heart. That's what makes the Christian life so exciting because it's real and it's personal and it's knowing Him and being led by Him. So here is this, this leading of Saul and Samuel in verse 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't be anxious about them, for they have been found and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the tribes of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? So Saul begins to answer him and says, I'm the seer. And as he continues on, he says, You know what? Don't worry about those donkeys that were lost. Now, it is Saul that never said anything to Samuel. He never told Samuel, I'm here because I lost my donkeys and all of this. He knew. And then he begins to, to tell Saul that God's going to do something special with him. And Saul, at this point, doesn't understand all of the ramifications of this. And he's saying, why are you speaking to me in this way? I'm nothing. I'm the least of all the tribes. And my family... now." That wasn't exactly true because we were told in the beginning of the chapter that he came from an influential family. But there's some humility that's going on here. You know, again, the Lord shows himself strong to those who are humble. He resists the proud. And as we come to the Lord desiring to be used of the Lord, we come with a humble heart. We come with a servant's heart. We come with a heart, as we've talked about tonight, a heart after Him. And the Lord does use the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world to confound the strong and the wise and the things that are not He uses to bring to naught the things that are that no man will glory in His presence. And I am so thankful that He uses the least of the least because that gives me opportunity to be used and he loves to use just ordinary people like you and me. And just as we discussed on Sunday, as we saw in Mark chapter 1, that Jesus, he didn't call his disciples to, you know, the ones who were the 
elite religious leaders and the scholars, he called simple fishermen and said, I'll make you fishers of men. I want to encourage you as we close here, and we'll, we'll close here and we'll see that it's going to be Saul that's going to be the next king. He's going to be anointed. But God desires to use you. And I pray that you are ones that you are saying, Lord, how is it that you would use me? And it might be just raising your children up in the ways of the Lord right now. Maybe you don't know what the Lord, how he wants to use you. He does want to use you. But never get to the mindset in your life of thinking, God can never use me. Listen, if he can use me, he can use you. And he loves to use the foolish and the weak things of the world. And he loves to use ordinary people like you and me for his glory. He uses in very simple ways. But you humble your heart, you ready your heart, and you have a heart for him. And you see what the Lord does. And I'll tell you this, to serve the Lord, listen, to serve the Lord is the most glorious thing. And, and whatever he has for you, and whatever he's doing in your life, wherever he has placed you, whatever giftings he's given to you, that it is such a joy to serve our king, to be able to be used of him, and you see what God will do. He will do amazing things in just a humble, willing heart. And so we're going to see that Saul started out humble, but he got very prideful. And it ended up doing him in as the king. He ended up being rejected. And so any of us being used of the Lord to stay humble before him, to know that he is to get the glory. And the Lord uses us in spite of us for his kingdom and for his glory and for his purposes. What a wonderful, glorious thing and opportunity that we have to just serve him, the Lord. So, Father, we thank you. And we thank you for these lessons that are here in, in 1 Samuel. And, and, Lord, that you do choose the foolish and weak things of the world. And, Lord, we are so thankful that we who were sinners, while we were sinners, Christ died for us to save us. But Lord, also, I pray that all of us would be known as Israel, just as Jacob's name was turned, uh, changed to Israel, that truly in our hearts that we would say, Lord, you govern over me, to have that humble heart before you, to have that heart that is towards you, and that heart that is sensitive to being led by you. Father, tonight we open up the communion table. And Lord, as, as we customarily do on the first Wednesday of the month, we come to the communion table because it was Jesus in that upper room when he would make that new covenant with his disciples. And as he would break bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And he would take the cup after supper and he would say, this is my blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink. And this is the new covenant in my blood. And to do this in remembrance of me. And Lord, we don't want to ever forget your goodness and your faithfulness and your love demonstrated to us in sending your Son who came to this world and went to Calvary's cross, went through the sufferings. And we hold the elements in our hands tonight as we come to the communion table, as we take of them, and we go back to our chairs, Lord, and we just... We're at awe and in reverence 
and thankfulness because you've given us hope, the only true hope that is out there that comes through Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary. And I pray that in this year, whatever it is that we may be facing, that, Lord, that we would trust in you and wait on you. Because as you govern our lives, you're going to do what's the very best for us. Lord, to teach us patience and perseverance, knowing that that will give us godly character and really true hope, as Paul writes in Romans 5. That the love of God would be perfected in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that as we come, again, holding these elements in our hands, proclaiming our love for you, may this be a time of worship and a time of thankfulness and gratitude, a time to put aside just all the things that, that distract us and keep us busy, that, that bother us. Lord, just to focus on you right now for these next few moments and to proclaim your goodness. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.